Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Internet Marketing. Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Internet Marketing, episode 176. I'm Andy White. And I'm Kelvin Newman. Kelvin, what are we talking about today? Well, we're actually about, Andy, to commence on what is, I suppose, an opus of um, beginner's guides to various topics of internet marketing. I know that a lot of you who are listening to the podcast have been doing internet marketing for a number of years or have kind of at least been listening to the show for a number of years, but we're quite conscious that um, looking back over the, the episodes, we haven't really done a beginner's guide to many of the kind of fundamentals of digital marketing for quite some time. We recently did beginner's guides to some of the social networks, so like LinkedIn, Twitter and, and Facebook, but I kind of wanted to go into some of the, you know, more, um, you know, other channels. So to kind of set the scene, we've kind of got five episodes coming up and we're going to be covering off in today's episode um, a beginner's guide to on-site SEO. Um, next episode, we're going to be doing a beginner's guide to off-site SEO. So the two parts of SEO split there between two episodes, followed by pay-per-click, then performance display, which is a relatively, um, it's been around for a while, but it's kind of a, a service that we've been doing more and more at site visibility recently over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. So I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that if you're not familiar with it. And then finally finishing off um, talking about mobile marketing. You know, it's interesting, Calvin, because I was talking to uh, someone at a web meeting group recently, and they were saying that, um, I mean, they, they weren't, they were not SEO savvy. Yeah. But they were kind of saying, I just don't know where to start. All yeah. I want is kind of like a simple list of things, of checklist things to well, do. That's kind of what I hope we can do here today, is kind of go through some of the kind of fundamentals of SEO. And I mean, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm coming from. From This is a day-long training session, and I'm kind of taking some of the elements of that and trying to whisk through them. So what we'll try and do here is we'll kind of cover off all the topics. We might not go into all the detail to explain absolutely everything about it, but hopefully it'll kind of give you a, fami- a familiarity with some of the terms that are used, um, you know, a kind of familiarness with some of the concepts and hopefully kind of give you um, enough confidence to kind of go off and begin that process of learning about um, SEO. So, I mean, really for any kind of um, SEO campaign, there's sort of like five things you really need to cover off. And I'm going to cover three of those five things in today's episode and then the, f- the final two in, in the, the episode that will follow. So the first of those is keyword strategy, then kind of some technical hosting considerations, and then kind of talking about content optimization. And that, that, those kind of three chunks are going to break up today's episode covering off those three areas so keyword strategy technical and hosting considerations and finally content optimization so really it kind of the very fundamental of any natural search campaign is you need to have an understanding of the keywords that you're looking to target now without that any seo campaign that you're going to conduct might be successful but it's not fundamentally going to be a brilliant campaign so you need to understand what people are searching for and 
you know, there's a, you know, there's a number of different ways that we go about our keyword research process at Site Visibility, the agency I work with. So we try and generate a, a list of potential initial keywords, and we kind of use the following um, sort of ideas as the kind of inspiration for that. So first of all, we look at the client brief, because in most cases, a client's come to us saying, we rank in number six for this keyword, and we'd like to, like to rank number one for it, or we, we don't rank anywhere for these terms. And, you know, they're not always the perfect terms to be targeting, but they're always a great starting point. We then kind of look at the website navigation because what you'll find is in in a, in a lot of situations actually the items that you put on your menu reflect the keywords um, that you want to target quite well. And th- th- you know that's not always perfect, um, but that that's kind of a good way of going. We also look at the existing content, and one thing that I think not enough people do when they're coming up with their keyword research list is kind of look at the current keywords that are already sending them traffic because there's somewhere you're already having success. And if you're having success in traffic and conversions from a key phrase, despite not actively targeting it and perhaps not even ranking necessarily that highly for it, that's the term you really want to be hitting with your on-site optimization to reflect that and some of your off-site as well. And additionally, we kind of look at competitors. So we'll ask a client, um, name your top five competitors, um, and then we'll look at what they've optimized their site for. So look at the key phrases they've put in their title tags and look for what your competitors have done, similar to some of the recommendations I'm going to suggest that you would make to your site. Next up, you kind of got to analyze those keywords you made the suggestion. So you've got to ask yourself a kind of a few questions. So one is kind of how many people are searching these terms. There's no mm. point optimizing for a term that might be laser targeted, but only two or three people are searching for it. So you need to kind of go through some process of doing that. Um, you also need to ask yourself how competitive the term is, because actually sometimes you get two phrases which have kind of equal potential, you know, equal traffic, equal potential to make you money. But one of them is far more competitive than another. So you might want to steer your attention towards the less competitive one. You also need to kind of ask yourself about kind of is there going to be a continual, you know, sense of um, is there going to be demand in this keyword ongoing? You know, sometimes we've we've worked with clients and we've got them really high rankings for a phrase, but people are just searching for that less and less every month. So, you know, we've kind of perhaps not necessarily gone after the best keywords we possibly could because you want to be going for phrases that are either holding static or kind of, you know, potentially on the up. And also kind of asking yourself a little bit about, a little bit about the audiences and um, what, you know, ha- what terms are they searching for? Is Google Trends a good tool for that? Cover? Yeah, I've actually got two two tools that I recommend um, for keyword research. And there's a, there are 101 tools out there and all of them have their own uses. But to be honest, for most people listening who are just starting out in SEO, there's only really sort of two tools you need to worry about. Um, so one of those is Google Keyword Tool. You can Google Google Keyword Tool um, to get that. But we're also dropping to the show notes as well. But the URL is adwords.google.com forward slash select forward slash keyword tool external and that allows you to just put in some phrases that you already have or put in a website that you own or control and it will make suggestions off the back of that and you essentially get like a tick box and you say include this one don't include this one and then you can export that as a csv to kind of use in excel um Things to look at there is it it measures global and local search volumes. Now, when it's talking about local, that's not kind of within your country. It's the country as a whole. So in the UK, the local search volume refers to UK search volume. In Canada, it's Canadian search volume. In, you know, um, Egypt, it's Egyptian search volume. It's not kind of like in the UK, it's not Brighton search traffic. It's UK as a mm. whole. And also... Be aware that kind of this is a pe- it's a pay per click keyword tool, and by default it'll be set to broad match keywords, which we'll kind of cover in the future pay per click episode that we've got coming up. But essentially, there's a difference between broad match, where that's something 
someone typed in mostly that phrase and Google expand upon that or exact where someone typed in exactly that phrase. So you want to be concentrating on exact because that's kind of a little bit better indicator there as well. And as Andy mentioned, yeah, Google Insights is another amazing keyword tool. Now, it's not so good for building lots of lots of lists and suggestions, but what Google Insights does um, is it really gets the temporal nature, you know, over time of the keyword search phrase. So Calvin, you, it's, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Google, um, Google Insights, is that mm. what used to be known as Google Trends? Um, they're, they're kind of connected, as yeah, they were. Okay. So they're kind of, uh, the branding's a bit inconsistent and that type of thing. Um, but yeah, essentially Google Insights for search is what we're looking at. Google right. Trends and Google Insights are largely the same. Uh, but Google Insights for search is slightly different. But, you know, essentially what you do is you put in a keyword or a key phrase. Um, you specify a country or location. And Google will show you over the last sort of up to about five or six years the search um, volume that's there and the trends over time. So you can see, is there a seasonal peak in January? for my key phrase or is actually there half the people searching um this month compared to last month and that's half the month before and therefore that key phrase might not be one to target and you can learn all sorts of interesting things there so you know and sometimes they're surprising as well so i mean a classic example not using google insights but using <clears throat> hitwise which is a similar kind of tool a number of retailers discovered actually that prom dresses um, the, the the high search volume for prom dresses was between you know the Christmas holidays and going back to school mm. um, but traditionally they wouldn't have put those prom dresses on display in the store until Easter but so kind of like so the logic was well if we put it in store in Easter we'll put it on the website in Easter and then you know they kind of missed out on that peak in search traffic so there's those types of insights that you can gain using a tool like um, like Google Insights so they're two hugely complicated tools. We could do like an hour and a half probably on each of those tools individually. But go and have a look at them. Google Insights for search and Google um, Keyword Tool. Now moving on to kind of some of the technical considerations. Um, one of the issues we come across quite frequently is where there's kind of blocked content pages. <clears throat> so there's a number of ways in which potentially you can say to, your ser- uh, say to the search engine, stay away from this site. And, you know, that can be incredibly powerful, um, but it can also be very dangerous. So potentially you might well find that by no real fault of your own, you've kind of set up a setting on your website that says Google don't index me. Now, you'll probably know about that because you get no traffic from Google. Um, But, you know, you just need to check these things, particularly when you're putting a new site live. So we've had a few situations in the past where you might use tools like this to block your test site from being indexed by the spiders, which is kind of, you know, sensible to do. But then you then copy that over to the live server and take with it the code that says go away Google. And then for a couple of days, um, you suddenly start to wonder why your new site's getting a lot less traffic. And you suddenly realise that all the pages of your site are no longer being indexed by Google. And that's not a a nice situation to have to deal with. How long does it take for Google to realise that you've taken those... uh those sort of go away tags off, Kelvin? Well, basically what they'll do is it, they'll just revisit the site. But the problem is, is that they can be relatively quick to find that tag. Mm. And then afterwards, you've kind of said to Google, hey, I'm not interested. So they've got, they're going to come back to you because they will do and they'll continue to check. But mm. immediately you've kind of dropped from being quite high on their list to not being very high at all. So it can mm. take, you know, it can take quite a bit of time, particularly if it's happened at that point when you're refreshing your website as well. Because, you know, already Google have got to try and find new pages or new new URLs. And, you know, it's potentially making something that's already a tricky situation to manage from a search perspective very tricky. So the things you need to be looking out there for is your robots.txt file, which is kind of a simple text file that gives you the opportunity to say, you know, give messages to the search engines like ignore this area of the site. So I can't explain that here, but know that it exists and know that you ought to be thinking about what's within that. You can also get like robots, meta tags, and also like if you're using like a PHP server, you can use your .ht access file to kind mm. of specify and block and point search engines in certain directions. 
So be aware that these are the types of things you need to be thinking about. Is all your content fully indexable by the search engine spiders? He's also got the question of localization. Now, I won't go into too much detail here because this is a question that comes up very frequently in our Q&A episodes. But kind of essentially where a country, where the country in which a website is hosted has a, you know, a pretty strong bearing on which, you know, where Google thinks that website is located. Um, but kind of the domain is top, then web hosting, then what you tell Google and webmaster tools. So if you're ever faced with that decision of how to, what, you know, what, how do I tell Google I'm a Germany-based website? Simplest answer is get a dot a German URL, mm, a .de, .de yes, yeah. um, and then get your, your server in Germany and then tell Google and Webmaster Tools. And you might not be able to get all three of those, but try and get at least two of them sort of set mm. up if at all possible. Um, sitemaps are something you hear talked about a lot very frequently, particularly XML sitemaps. So that's kind of a, a, a code, you know, um, an XML code um, list of the pages on your site that you can submit to the search engine to say, here are all the pages of your site. And that's sort of <clears throat> designed to deal with the fact that sometimes Google won't necessarily be able to know where all your pages of your site are. Now, that can be incredibly powerful if you're having trouble getting pages for your site indexed. Um, but the huge problem with sitemaps is that <clears throat> in most cases, people go, oh, I ought to have an XML sitemap. How am I going to generate an XML sitemap? Oh, I'll type into Google XML sitemap generator and they use a tool that generates a sitemap. Mm. Now, the huge problem with that is is that those tools are essentially trying to do the same thing as Google, right? Which is find the pages of your site by crawling it. So if you've got pages that they can't crawl, Google aren't going to be able so to crawl. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, they're not there. So the, the best way to do a sitemap is either by knowing every single page which is in your site, um, which you might do if you've got a relatively small site, um, but more practically, you probably want something that's generated by your content management system. Mm. So there's plugins for WordPress, there's pu- plugins for Drupal, there's you know whatever content management system you've got. Try and generate your XML sitemap from there rather than an external tool because the external tool is going to suffer from exactly the same problems as Google has. And you're not really going to solve the problem by using a similar, you know, you're trying to diagnose the problem using a tool that ha- suffers from the same problems, if you see what I mean. So Yeah, I know where you're going. I can't think of a good phrase either. Have you ever heard of uh, video sitemaps? Yeah, video sitemaps is a similar kind of idea. So it's essentially all about helping um, Google know which videos you've got. Mm. On- There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Your site. So, yeah, there's a number of different sort of sitemaps. You know, that, you know, videos one, and you can kind of, you know, you can get image sitemaps as well, which is a similar kind of thing as well. Um, but, yeah, really the, the, the principle is all the same, putting your content in a way that the search engines can understand to know mm. where it's all located. Mm. Now, the search engines always try and do that themselves, but you have to bear in mind that that can sometimes be pretty complicated if you've got hundreds of thousands of pages or even just you know tens of thousands of pages of your site it's tricky for a search engine to kind of go to your home page then find all the links then find all the links and find all the links and yes a sitemap can just ease that process um but it's not you know it's something you need to do it's kind of something we tick off the list it's not kind of mission well I, we always do it because it's not complicated yeah but it's probably not going to have the hugest impact on your ability to rank but it's so simple that it's mad not to consider absolutely so kind of moving on to um, content optimization. So how can you optimize your content to reflect the key phrases that we've already carried out in the keyword research process? Well, one of the places you can include them is in the URL, so the page URL, so that what people type into the, the bar to get to the page or the URL that appears when they click on a link. Now, it's kind of historically, it's always been that, um, you know, kind of the folder structure kind of can act to a certain extent as an indicator of importance, right? So a something that's mydomain.com forward slash page is kind of perhaps you know you can believe is um more of a a better indicator that that page is important than mydomain.com forward slash folder forward slash folder forward slash folder page Mm. um now it's kind of it's not quite the same now that how content management systems work but kind of generally speaking um it makes sense to try and put your most important pages the highest up your hierarchy of pages and also you kind of want to try and reflect your keywords in that now that doesn't necessarily mean drastically changing um the names of your pages but it does mean if your default is you know mydomain.com forward slash 17458891 that's not a good url calling it like i don't know blue widgets you know mydomain.com forward slash blue widgets or forward yeah. slash widgets slash blue hyphenated rather than, the, rather than underscore do we um, know? I think hyphenated tends to be my preferred option mm. um, and you know you could, there used to be a lot more debate about whether to go underscore whether to not put spaces in and all this type of thing I think in terms of for pages I think hyphenated is mm. probably the way to go it just reads better in my opinion um, you've also got the title tag um, now, we've probably heard us talk about this before, but the title tag is still really one of the best opportunities that you've got to send a message to the search engines about what your what that page and what your website is about. So it's worth stating that you've kind of got like a um, you've got 66 characters to play with um, in your title tag. Mm. And that includes spaces, that includes hyphens, includes ampersands, anything that you put in there that you've got. Um now, ideally, you kind of probably want your first three words or so of that title tag to be your main search phrase that you're going for. So front load it, in other words. Yeah, front load it. Because yeah. that's a classic mistake that people make where they'll put, like, the name of their website. So an example I used when demonstrating this before was there was a farming supply company they're called Mole Valley Farmers. Um, and then they had, like, a hyphen farm supplies, hyphen farming equipment. Now, what I would have said there is straight away, take the Mole Valley Farmers off the front. That's not your most important phrase. You're the only Mole Valley Farmers. Mm. Put farm supplies and farming equipment at the beginning. And actually, I'd maybe even argue to not include the the brand in the homepage and instead actually try and use a couple of other variations of the search terms that they'd be going after. Um, So yeah, just in terms of kind of, you've got your 66 characters, which you can count, but nine to 11 words is good. And don't feel you need to repeat words as well. Um, I'd never repeat a word more than twice. And actually, I think in most cases, you don't need to do any repetition in a title tag. 
Um, so because basically Google are choosing the words out out of sequence. So you want to try and match the sequence as best as possible. But if you've got farm supplies, farming equipment as your title tag, that would be as well optimized for farming supplies as farm supplies. If mm. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you've then also got the meta description. Now the meta description isn't quite so visible on the page as your title tag is because your title tag's there in the big blue bar across the top when someone's visiting the site. But it is still incredibly important from a search engine optimization perspective. Now. Having your keywords and the like in your meta description doesn't mean that you're more likely to rank. That's not why you optimize it. Um, it's not considered one of the high you know, ranking factors in that sense. But it is really important because it appears on the search results page. So that's your opportunity to get people to click through to your site. And if you've not got a good meta description, um, you're going to fight a, a tough battle there. And actually, some cases we've seen websites that don't rank they maybe rank position two but get quite a high click-through rate because they've got a good meta description so you've got 150 characters to play with there um i try and do i suppose sort of three or four things really with the meta description i try to repeat the title tag so there's the consistency there of the keywords that i you know i'm trying to target i always try to include the brand in there because i've excluded it in most cases from the title tag um, and i also try and include a call to action so rather than just being, you know, we sell, da 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 da, da it's kind of buy now, da da, da you know, something mm. that kind of encourages people to click through and encourages them to make the desired action when they actually go through to the website. Because I think you've already mentioned this, but this is visible on search <laughs> in the SERPs, isn't it? The search engine yeah. results. Yeah, so when someone kind of searches for, um, when you appear on a search results page, you get the blue text, which is your title tag, you get the URL, and you get two lines of copy. And this is those two lines of copy, and you really want to get that right. Um. A question I get asked very, very frequently is about, well, what should I do with the meta keywords tag? Um, short answer is nothing. Don't worry about it. None of the major search engines look at it. Is that the official stance these days? Yeah, I mean, Google have gone on the record and said that we don't look at it and use it in any of our algorithms. Bing and Yahoo, oh, sorry, Bing has kind of said, we look at it, but we don't use it. So from that perspective, I sometimes optimize it because it's merely a case of doing a cut and paste. Mm. So I cut and paste the title tag into the keywords. But if it took any more than those two seconds, it's not worth the effort. So don't worry about your meta keywords tag. Um, it's kind of not a waste of time, but certainly um, not one to worry about. Is it not even worth having the tag in there at all? I mean, I think most CMSs come with it as a default field. Mm. So if you're kind of copying and pasting from an Excel spreadsheet, I, I don't think it takes a huge amount of time to do that. Um, and I wouldn't say turn it off, but you know, I, I don't think it's worth worrying, you know, losing any sleep about, oh, should I have my meta keyword saying this versus that? You don't if you if you've got to spend more than ten seconds making a decision on it, you've already spent too much time. Um, other on-page elements that you want to optimize are your headings. So, on a standard sort of website, you use tags like H1 and H2, and basically, um, you know, H1 is your strongest, most important piece of text on the body of the body copy. H2 is slightly less important, and, and so on and so forth. And just use these like you would bold or italics to draw attention to certain elements of a page that you think are important and in terms of kind of number of them i think one h1 you can maybe get away with two h2s three h3s i think that's kind of a good rule of thumb um, to kind of work on those ones there and those headings should perhaps ideally reflect the title tag reflect the meta description reflect the url and just so you got some consistency there really <clears throat> and then finally the body content so don't sort of don't forget really and i mean i've, I've done this a few times in optimizing sites so i've spent ages writing an amazing title tag you know really putting my heart and soul into a meta description and all that type of thing and then actually look at the page and i've not mentioned those words actually in mm. the proper you know the proper copy of that page so kind of you know try and when you've got to the stage of optimizing all those other bits we just talked about 
um, make sure that you've actually got those words on the page because you'd be surprised how easy it is to go through that entire process and then actually miss the most important bit, which is kind of having the, the words there that reflect the This is known as uh, keyword density, is <laughs> Well, keyword density is kind of about the amount of times that, that keyword mm. occurs. And I think that's something not to worry about, like how frequently it occurs. Mm. What I think is more important is thinking about keyword consistency. So you kind of, on a, on a page, you have your keywords in the title tag, in the meta description, and it just follows through naturally. And that's just kind of making one page about one search term. I think it's a good idea. You also get alt tags, um, which are essentially kind of text associated with an image. Now, they're worth optimizing in some situations because they're going to allow you to get um, image search traffic. So I think it's worth doing, but mainly for accessibility reasons, though. So if someone is on a mobile phone or if they're using a screen reader or any of those types of situations, it's good to include alt text there. Um, but again, if you've got 10,000 images on your site, you're not going to make a huge search impact by writing alt text for all of them. But you might have some, and you might suddenly start ranking for image searches. And I mean, um, a while ago, we had a fish in the, the the site visibility office, and we kind of had a picture of that fish on our blog because we talked about it because it got super huge. And that was actually one of our biggest referring key phrases for a long, long time from people on image search searching for the... The, the, the site the, visibility fish. Yeah, yeah. And just because we kind of used the Latin name and there weren't very many pictures of it, and I think we got used in dozens of pieces of homework all over the world. But you you can do that. So all text is worth doing, but don't don't pull your hair out over it. Um, duplicate content is my final point, really. So this has become more and more of an issue as people, as more and more content management systems have rolled out. And just really try and make sure that any piece of content you've got on your site only appears once. Because uh, try and just spread, you know, don't make sure that you've got lots of pages that duplicate each other. Generally speaking, I think most websites would benefit from having fewer pages rather than more pages. Mm. And then going to a lot of kind of issues there about can canonization, and I won't go into that here because I'll make people's brain explode. But basically, simply put, you want all of your content to only be available on your site and only available on one URL. If you've got it available on multiple URLs or multiple websites, you're potentially going to find it a lot harder to rank because you're making life for Google more complicated. I had someone ask me an interesting, interesting question about this. Oh, I apologise for Kelvin's coughing. Yeah, we and both my have coughing. a coughing fit here today. We both have a cough. It's, a, it's, it's <laughs> catching. It's catching. Anyway, yes, this person was asking me, I think they were talking about putting YouTubes on YouTube, uh, videos on YouTube, yep. get it right, Andy, and also the same video on their blog, and should they, is it okay to duplicate the description they put on YouTube with the description <laughs> yeah, they put I on mean, their blog? Yeah, I mean, I think if it's a part of a page, it's less of an issue, you know, like mm. a couple of sentences. Um, but essentially, video, Google can't tell that it's duplicated in a lot of cases. Now, it's the text around the video yeah, that they're yeah, asking yeah. that, yeah. And in that case, it's like, it would be better, in a perfect world, it'd be better if those two descriptions and pieces of text around it were different. Mm. Now, pragmatically, we don't always have the time to do that. But mm. if you are going to, like, not vary it, make sure that not all of your pages are exactly the same as the pages on YouTube. Because if Google, if Google are given the choice between, hey, here's this piece of text that's a perfect response to the search query. Mm. One's on YouTube, one's on Kelvin's website. YouTube's going to win that ranking yeah. battle every single time. Absolutely. So that's kind of the way that duplicate content tends to you know, catch people out because there's another site that's not theirs that they're copying, or maybe not necessarily copying, but sharing, you know, using the same um, text as. And yeah, the other site's going to win every, every day of the week in that kind of situation. Kelvin, take a breath. Relax. <sighs> that was a real brain dump, wasn't it? 
Well, I mean, what I hope I can do there, you know, SEO, on-site SEO, technical SEO, it's, you know, a huge complex area. But hopefully that'll kind of give you some of the things to be thinking about. And you can make a note of a few of those terms and Google them, have a look on our website, have a look on websites like SEO Moz, and, you know, try and get your head around um, some of those concepts. And in the next episode, I believe we're doing, uh, is it external? Yeah, sort of off-site. Yeah, so link building and a little bit about tracking SEO as well. Looking forward to that. That's goodbye from me, Andy White. And goodbye from me, Calvin Newman. See you next time. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on the internet at www.internetmarketingpodcast.org where you'll find show notes, links, and instructions on how to subscribe. We would absolutely love to get feedback, comments, and questions from you. If you want to send an email, send it to kelvin.newman at sitevisibility.com. Also, feel free to comment on the website. And if you'd like to use our voice line number... If you're outside of the UK, it's plus four four one two seven three two five six one five zero. If you're inside the UK, it's o one two seven three two five six one five zero. And you can leave a voice comment or question, and we'll play it on the show. Also, we would absolutely be delighted if you would give us a, a rating on iTunes itself. Well, that's it for now. Andy White signing off until next week on Internet Marketing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.